Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Elite Heat. This one, we're bringing back a big hit series. We did Elite Take about two months ago now. You lot loved it. The engagement was through the roof. And also, I'll say this, Kevin, now, listen to us on Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher Radio, Apple, all of it. Those audio platforms, any listen you give us means the world. But uh, most, importantly, uh, most importantly, I'll say this. If we could get just five of you lovely listeners, just five, to go on to Spotify, if you have Spotify on your cellular device or on your website, your internet device, whatever, please give us a five-star rating. If you could do that, that would be great. That, that's, that would be very helpful. That helps us get into the algorithm and make great things happen so we can continue to deliver you great content. So, yeah. Yeah, because we know there's a group of you, especially on YouTube, who will listen to the full show, which is incredible. We really appreciate that. This yeah. takes like a minute, two minutes. Just give a rating on one of these like Spotify's or any of these platforms. Over there, it shoots us up algorithms and does the world good for the show. So, Kevin, with that said, unless there's anything else you want to discuss there, I want to start us off with a big sort of position. Okay, Kevin, Money in the Bank is coming up. We did our whole show last week discussing the highs and lows of the concept, whether it's time to retire it, all that. A lot of you listen to that. If you haven't, go check it out. Kevin, Money in the Bank 2023, we need to address the fields in these matches because... LA Knight is getting all the publicity about he needs to win the match. He needs to win the match. And, well, I mean, I'll look at this field, Kevin. He's the only option. Kevin, I'm going to read you. We'll start with the men's one. The men's one's the one I want to focus on. The women's one sort of is what it is, in my opinion. It's fine. This men's one, Kevin, this is Money in the Bank 2023. Ricochet, the guy who's been in a tag team for like a year with Braun Strowman. Shinsuke Nakamura, okay. Um, LA Knight who's the, the overwhelming favorite, uh, either Santos Escobar or Mustafa Ali. I mean, at least Santos Escobar has been in the, the LWO, I guess. So he's been sort of involved in something a little bit relevant in the past few months, Kevin. Uh, we've got Butch or Baron Corbin, and then Riddle or To Be Announced. So I assume that's going to be Cody, right? It has to be. It, it has to be. Because, Kevin, those names so far that have qualified – Ricochet, sure, he's there to go flying off ladders and do like 7.30 flips and, you know, risk his own life. I get it to make the match more fun. But th- those names I just read, Kevin, that's not good enough. It's just not. LA Knight, we both praised him on many shows. This isn't a LA Knight, so we're not, we're not saying that. What we're saying is, is that it? For uh, money in the bank field? And Kevin, I'll throw the question to you now. You were pretty big on this now last show about retiring the concept or at least changing something big time or just getting rid of it after hearing that you, like what do you stand on what i've just read you out to you yeah that just adds fuel to my to my stance honestly like there's there's clearly no effort being put into the concept and that's been clear as day for the last three years and now we're just getting a match full of mid carters no disrespect to these guys nakamura is out of the people that have qualified nakamura is the most legitimate one as he's been in several main events, he's won a Royal Rumble, he's had a big-time WrestleMania match, but he hasn't done anything of any kind of significance in five years. And then you look at Ricochet makes sense. You know, Ricochet and Santos Escobar, their their type of wrestler makes sense when you throw them in there with a good combination of star power and, and top guys. Those two make sense for a Money in the Bank ladder match. But then, like, we're looking at Baron Corbin, who's hasn't done anything. But I assume Butch is going to be in, and I assume that... You know, I assume that Santos Escobar will be in, so I'm going off assumptions here. But I want to talk about LA Knight before I talk about how I feel about this uh, this concept. 
when you think about LA Knight, right? This guy, he is the betting favorite right now. He's a pretty heavy favorite to win the, the Money in the Bank briefcase. What has he done? He hasn't been on any, any kind of pay-per-views. And I know that doesn't really matter. Anybody can get hot at any point in time in wrestling. But this guy, we've literally seen him at Night of Champions. He was in the crowd, hanging out with Saudi children. WrestleMania, he wasn't good enough to be on the show. So, I don't know. This is the next but, top guy. But Kevin, the Mountain Dew pitched black match against Wyndham. <laughs> you know, like, this, this is the thing, like, you know, it's cool. I love when LA Knight comes down SmackDown and the crowd's into him and he gets good reactions. That's awesome. That's really good. And he's having matches against, like, Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods on SmackDown, like, 35 minutes into the show once I've done the, the stuff you care about at the start. Like, that's cool. But, you know... Yeah, and Kevin, is this just what Money in the Bank is now? Is Money in the Bank just, it's never going to be the, like, you know, the Cody or the, the, the main eventer goes into Money in the Bank with a big stack All-Stars field, like 2013, and there's a big-time Money in the Bank main event match, and the winner is just already made. Like, is, is it just going to be this now? For the, for the remainder of its tenure, it's going to be mid- to lower-card wrestlers fighting for the right to earn an opportunity, and the opportunity will probably be at Seth Rollins. Whoever wins is probably going to face Roman. That's going to face Rollins, probably. I'd imagine. Like, yeah, abolish the concept. It's over. It's over. Put it out of his misery. There's no saving it, really. When you're at a point like, like I mean, I already beat this to death. They're at a point where they're trying to establish Roman to beat Hogan's title run. And they're trying to establish Seth Rollins with his new world championship. They're not going to have Ricochet just come out of catering, run down with the briefcase, and beat Seth Rollins three and a half months into his title reign, establishing this new world heavyweight title. So we already know that's not going to lead to anything. Unless Cody is the, the guy that ends up facing Riddle, Cody wins, Cody gets into the match, and then Cody wins it and then uses the cash-in for a SummerSlam match with Roman. That That's, like, really the only thing I could see. Or he holds it and uses it for WrestleMania 40 to face Roman. Yeah. Other than that, what, you could have LA Knight win, and then he's going to cash in on Austin Theory? And win the U.S. title. <laughs> I get it. I'm done. I'm over it. But yeah, like, and and Kevin as well. Seth Rollins. What it seems to be now is he's the change. He's something different as world heavyweight champion. Yeah, the thing with Damian Priest on Raw, which is like one of the big things that happened this past week. He's giving more wrestlers a go. It's going to be either an open challenge or a wrestling most weeks having title matches. So when one of the world champions is doing that, it renders this money in the bank thing damn near redundant for a lot of these wrestlers. Really, the only purpose in a kayfabe sense, now that Rollins is doing that, which money in the bank serves, is the guy who's going to try and get to Roman, who Roman himself said, you need to earn a shot to face me. So Cody is going to need to win it to get to Roman. That's the only thing that makes sense. Because in, in kayfabe, what they're telling us week to week is Rollins is the change. Rollins doesn't do what Roman does. He doesn't sit at home and wrestle once every three months in a title match. Rollins is there every week, Kevin. He's wrestling guys who don't get an opportunity. He's wrestling mid-carders. So what's the point in that sense? It's just it can, it's just a match. And the Money in the Bank match for the men will be a great match, as do most of these. The matches will be fun. It's not going to suck. But just the purpose of it, beyond just a fun spectacle on June or July, whatever, you know, Money in the Bank, there's not much else to it at this stage. So I, I agree with you. My stance is, yeah, if it's going to be like this, just get rid of it. 
at this stage. So that's my stance. Yeah, it's not like they need to stay married to this concept. They could just create a new pay-per-view or bring back one of the many legacy pay-per-views that they own. So, yeah. yeah. All right, pal. Are you ready for the next question? Yep. Kevin, hit us with it. What's, what's the next question? So that one was all that money in the bank. Now, Kevin, over to you. All right, so we saw Triple H unveil the new undisputed WWE Universal Championship belt. And we talked about it. We touched on it. And I'll ask you this, just to, let's go in depth a little bit more. What, what would you rate that new championship belt on a scale of 1 to 10? In terms of just like, I guess the look and the, and the design. This is such a good question because I know in our last show we gave like initial reactions to this. Um, you were more kind of scathing than me on this. You, uh-huh. did, you just came out of the box with your strong take. And I'll throw it back to you shortly for your kind of follow up with a sort of rating. Um, when I saw that title, my initial reaction was, I like it, yeah, for like right away, my split second, which when I say I like it, that's probably like, what, a seven, an eight out of 10. But then Roman holds it up. I really get a look at it. I'm really digesting the, like the gold and everything with it. And I'm thinking to myself, this is like a four, five out of 10 title. It's nothing new. It's nothing overly flash like even that double degree world heavyweight championship they introduced a month ago now that title i'd give a higher rating easily that's a bit of a different design it's you know playing on history a bit it's a bit creative a little bit unique this current title as you perfectly just bluntly described last time is the w just with it's it's a gold cake icing behind it instead of strawberry shortcake or blueberry shortcake like has been for all these years kevin so yeah i'd say the title i'll be nice before I throw to you, I'll say four and a half, five out of 10. Um, I'll hand the baton to you, Kevin. What would you rate that new undisputed WWE Universal Championship out of 10? I give it a three, <laughs> a flat three. Like I, I was expecting like, okay, we're gonna get, well, okay, I'll be rewind. I was expecting with the World Heavyweight Championship, oh, we're gonna get something great. It's gonna be a unique, nice championship belt. Something that I'm like, wow, that's cool. That's captivating, that's different. And we got basically the big gold belt with the W drawn on top of it, which is fine. And it's very sparkly and nice. Then with this belt, we get hot mustard, essentially, what we got here. Like, hot let's... mustard, that's incredible. Carry on. <laughs> it's literally hot, like hot mustard. It's golden mustard. That's disgusting. That's disgusting. As Roman is walking around holding, he's holding up hot mustard, pal, <laughs> as he comes to the ring. <laughs> it's, it's ludicrous. It's honestly ludicrous. In a lot of ways, um, yeah. That, I mean, they could have done. That, that's what they could have done a little bit better. Maybe it's the same thing. It's what we saw with the universal title. It's the same thing. And now I was thinking that I was looking at the the two championships, and I was thinking about this out loud. I was like, we have to watch these two championship belts for at least in the next five years, minimal. And we we couldn't get like a tribal championship for Roman Reigns. I know. Like, whatever. Whatever. I don't want to bury you even more than I already did. Could you imagine, and everyone listening to this, you know, put your imagination caps on, just picture this. I don't know what they call it, the tribal title, the tribal championship, something. Similar to the Smoking Skull, similar to the, the Brahma Bull title. You've got, so like maybe like a black backing strap, let's say. The, the main title plate has like a lay. It's like a red design around it. It's like, it's like a lay almost. And the sides of each plate, it's like a red way. So you can have that sort of really distinctive character relevant thing to the title. Who knows? It's like the side plates could have 
you know, on one side plate, it's Roman holding like one title to represent the universal title. The other plate's him holding two titles represent his like dominance with both. God knows what they do in the middle. Hopefully not just a big W, hopefully something a bit creative. Reigns carries that around. And if Roman had something like that, even I, as someone who the last two months has complained about how Cody should be the champion, Reigns shouldn't have the belt anymore, I'd be like, well, forget all that. This new title's cool. I'm happy Reigns got to 1,000 because of this new tribal title, if they did that. That, I'd give like an 8 to a 9 out of 10 if they did something creative like that. I'm sure you'd give a higher rating than a 3. But, Kevin, it's just a hot mustard version of the Universal. That is so... I can't unsee that now. Hot mustard. Now, whenever I watch Roman Reigns, Joe Anawai raising this title i'm gonna think it's like hot mustard smeared out at a barbecue that, that, that's how i'm gonna view this title Literally so thank you this yeah no problem pal i'm glad i could instill that image into your brain forever now with that being said in mm -hmm. honor of talking about the new universal championship yep. then my next question for you is this pal so would a triple h reign of terror style reign have benefited wwe more than roman 1000 and what I mean is that, you know, we had some moments where Roman made guys like Cody Rhodes or he yeah. gave us a nice moment like how Triple H gave to Shawn Michaels, but yeah. Roman could have done that for Edge at WrestleMania 37. Yeah. Or, I don't know. What, what, do, you, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, so basically this whole question is centered around, so I did a community post. Basically, I was watching that segment we discussed with Triple H gifting Reigns the championship and it just felt a little up to me like that when Bischoff gave Triple H the title, just rewarded him with a title for all his excellence at, you know, in 2002. And then from there, we got three straight years of this like dominant run. And really in the modern era, Kevin, I stand by this. Roman 1000, the best comparison is Triple H's, like we got called the reign of terror, but basically just Triple H holding the world title for three straight years, dominating the brand. Well, the best part of three years, as we know. And the whole question here, the whole thing I was, alluding to was let's say roman reigns at wrestlemania 37 let's say edge pins daniel bryan and edge has that big moment 10 years to the day after he won the title it's this epic wrestlemania ending then roman wins it back a month later let's say that's an epic moment at the time it's a very memorable wrestling moment for the wwe it's this big thing reigns gets the title back no one questions reigns dominance he's still just the champion of the era then let's say wrestlemania shenanigans jimmy uso screws roman or something something cody has the moment validates him yada yada reigns wins it back in the end and reigns throughout the whole three years is just as dominant but the one caveat he doesn't have the big roman 1000 which that's the point of contention here so to me kevin to answer this question would the triple h reign of terror style where he lost the belt like three or four times in three years but was the champion of the era would that benefit double viewing more than Roman 1000? I think it would have. Um, Roman 1000, Kevin, I was thinking about this. I'm the wording of this is difficult, but do you feel like Roman 1000 has truly elevated a bunch of wrestlers to legitimate main event status? And you, you can look at a guy like Jay Uso or Jimmy Uso or Sokoa or Sami Zayn. Many would argue that that's just giving some more shine to like other mid-carders or upper mid-carders and not really making true main eventers. Would you think that's fair? Uh, I, I definitely think that this Roman 1000 reign has elevated all those guys you mentioned. And I've said this before on previous episodes of Elite Heat. Sami Zayn is a certified main eventer now. 
Sami Zayn's not going back to the mid card. It's, it's done. He's a main eventer for life. Off of that that storyline with the bloodline and with Roman. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with Jey Uso and Jimmy Uso. Either one of them, you can plug them into a main event match right now with Roman Reigns, and it's going to be good. Uh, honestly, those guys, Roman, the Usos, Sami Zayn, Solo Sokoa, they are the cornerstones of WWE right now, along with Cody Rhodes and Bianca Belair and a few other stars. That That's what this storyline and this title reign has done for them. And, and Solo Sokoa is going to be a big star of the future whenever his feud happens with Roman. It's going to be big. Solo's going to go up to another level. He, he has the look. He has the it. He's got it all. Now, when you look at other guys, if you ask the question, like, all right, who else has Roman elevated? I don't really think there's anyone, aside from those names that I mentioned, that he's elevated. Like, he, I wouldn't say he elevated Finn Balor, you know, when God himself stopped Finn Balor from defeating Roman Reigns. Uh, I definitely don't think he elevated Drew McIntyre. If anything, he just helps contribute to the plummet of Drew McIntyre as a star. He ruined Drew McIntyre. Hey, that, that's one thing I'll stand by, Kevin. That infamous promo, you will always be number two. You are not a number one. I'm better than you, and everyone knows it. I don't watch Raw. You're on it. I don't care. <laughs> that, that destroyed Drew McIntyre. And then Reigns beating him in his own home, home nation, how they did that. And it's just like, <laughs> Drew McIntyre's never been the same. He never will be. So, and, and, look, and as we're speaking about this out loud, let me say this. I don't mean to cut you off. But as we're speaking about this out loud, I see the similarities more and more with the Reign of Terror and with Roman 1000. And people argue in like 10 years' time, they're going to be like, look, Roman buried Drew McIntyre. Yeah. Drew McIntyre would have, been, would have been a bigger star. I can see it now. I'm manifesting. I can see it 10 years into the future where people are going to be really pissed about that. And it's going to be looked upon as like Roman held down these guys that were not true stars. But here's the caveat. And here's really where the two reigns differ. Differ. When Triple H was running wild in the Reign of Terror time frame, there was guy there were guys on the roster that were legitimate top guys. Mm-hmm. Legitimately. You had Chris Jericho, yeah. a certified first ballot Hall of Famer. You had Edge, you had Randy Orton, you had Batista, Sean. you had Sean, you had Chris Benoit. Uh, and this was just the raw roster. I'm not even talking SmackDown. You know, you had Eddie Guerrero, you had John Cena on the other side. You had uh, all these guys, RVD, Booker T. All these guys are Hall of Fame talent. Roman is not playing with the same talent field. Uh, let's be honest. Let's call a spade a spade. Seth Rollins maybe is probably the biggest star that faced Roman one-on-one, aside from you know the, the certified legends like Cena and Edge and those guys. Yeah, We've been there, done that with Rollins. So Roman beating Rollins is what it is. Um, you know, Drew McIntyre... People are going to say that Drew McIntyre was a bigger star and a bigger deal than he was. People are going to say that in 10 years hindsight. In reality, Drew McIntyre was a mid-card-for-life guy, and then a bottom-of-the-card guy that got future endeavored, took steroids, came back, and then Vince just wanted to be right about determining him as his guy. Vince wanted to be right so bad that Vince was like, I'm going to make you a champion by any means necessary. So Drew McIntyre in reality... Is a lot is not as good as we as wrestling fans perceive him to be. I'm just calling a spade a spade. I'm calling it like Cook, it is. Kevin Cook. Oh, oh. So the 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 talent that Triple H had around him, and that's what makes this reign of Triple H so frowned upon, is because the people that there was like legitimate talent that they were just like, oh no, Triple H is the only guy because he's a WWE guy. You know these guys, they're from WCW, they're from ECW. 
they're not top guys. So then, then it was another thing too, being petty. It was like, oh, we gotta have Randy Orton beat Triple H. Oh, damn it. We gotta, you know, we gotta have the youngest champion. Can't be Brock. I don't know. I mean, for me, it's uh, Randy Orton beat Benoit, but whatever. Um, for me, it comes down to the fact that Roman is the top guy. Roman is the... I don't want to say the only surefire Hall of Famer, because there's a few other guys that are currently on the roster right now. But he, Roman is like the biggest star, and there's a huge gap between everybody else. And Rollins is here. You know, Rollins is like right there. Cody's not even on that list, because Cody went to AEW and got hot. Cody didn't get hot in WWE. Cody was around for 10 years and couldn't get anything to stick. Seth Rollins is the only guy, the WWE homegrown guy, that's right here. Right below Roman. And we've seen it already with Rollins. And we're going to see it again. We'll see how, how his title reign plays out. I must say, though, that Drew McIntyre, that was the most scathingly honest, real assessment of Drew McIntyre I've ever heard. So I just want to give some credit there. Really, I think when you look at this Roman 1000 and what will probably end up, honestly, after what we've seen the last couple of weeks, I don't even know where this reign is going to end because it's not going to be this year. It, Roman will have both that that world, that top title until at least the end of 2023. Um, and I think until at least WrestleMania. But I don't see him losing it at 40, to be honest. I think they're just going to have him hold it until either he steps away or they're going to have it retire or something like that. Um, and it's going to be held until at least probably SummerSlam 24, I'd say. So there's that. Um, as far as this question, would that have benefited WWE? Really the main thinking there is from the perspective of the moments. And those memorable moments you think of, because as great as the title Roman 1000 reign has been, you've addressed this specifically. You're the one who really would call this out with mainly the Sami Zayn match at the Elimination Chamber. You were big on this. As good as the match is for 20, 25 minutes, as, as great as it is, you get to the endings. And Kevin, I must say, when I look back on the reign and when a lot of people look back on the Roman's run, there have been some great matches. But there aren't those matches you look back on as, oh my God, I've got to watch that back. And how matches get that is the moment at the end. You know, you look at Eddie Guerrero and Brock Lesnar with that match. Pretty good, great match. But then you get to that ending last few minutes and then the moment that happened at the end and what happened after, that's where you get everyone going, oh, we've got to watch that back. And the same thing with, you know, the Triple H reign of, reign of terror. The Elimination Chamber match at Survivor Series 02. You look at the match, I mean, WrestleMania 20, circumstances aside, that sort of thing. It's, it's moments like that. And in this case, with this question, Kevin, if it's the WrestleMania 37 triple threat with Edge having that moment, if Drew McIntyre gets one over on Roman in, in Wales and has actually wins that match and then drops it back and Reigns carries on, moments like that, Cody at WrestleMania, all that sort of thing, those are like the moments that we'd look back on in this era. You'd go, Roman was the star of the era, but within it, you had that awesome Edge moment. You had that amazing Drew moment, that great Cody moment. Moments really just validate the others, the number twos, the other guys. It would be this is more so where the question is coming from. So, yeah, I'll take your point though. The Drew McIntyre thing was scathing. That was that was you and your absolute podcasting best pal. That, that was actually a damn good ruthless assessment. If you disagree with that, you're wrong. Kevin was bang on there. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it's a good question. It, it, it's more thought provoking than anything. Because as we've just said, Reigns will hold this title for like 1,500 days probably at this stage. They'll have probably three new championship belts with fat hot mustard W's made. And they'll create like four new title names for him within the next year. You'll have the 
the undisputed smoking skull tribal way <laughs> universal championship you'll have oh. roman reigns and when, when the bloodline you think it's done you, jimmy uso and jay uso they're off you know they've given up on roman Heyman's losing his love for roman reigns sakoa's ditched roman you'll have jacob far and a whole new clan of samoans <laughs> join roman then you'll do faction oh warfare at Survivor series 2025 you'll have far too you'll have sakoa the usos versus reigns and whoever else he can find from the samoan lineage and kevin this will go for years um and it's gonna be i don't know how it gets looked back on it's gonna play out but yeah i saw interesting conversation all things considered because triple h's reign of terror and roman 1000 it's the most similar thing i think to compare yeah and and i'm gonna answer the question because i don't think i answered the question in my in my previous monologue so i'll say this about the uh the, the question at hand I personally don't think that a Reign of Terror style reign for Roman Reigns would benefit WWE in any way whatsoever. Not not at all. If Sami Zayn wins the WWE title in Montreal, that's pretty much no different than when Finn Balor won the belt in 2016 after SummerSlam. It would just be the different. It would be internet internet fans just crying for something to happen, and WWE being like, "Here you go," and then Sami Zayn wins the belt. It's like, now what do we do? You know, and then you look at. The, the Drew McIntyre one in 2022. McIntyre spent a year, like over a year, 18 months, like throwing a sword at Jinder Mahal and other Indian yeah. men. Yeah, and- that was a year earlier. I'll give you that. I'll, I'll give you that one. That was like, a, yeah, a year of Baron Corbin, a year of Madcap Moss, a year of Jinder Mahal sword fighting in the Ganges. Like, yeah, no. Yeah, we, and we saw McIntyre as a top guy. We saw him as a top baby face. He peaked. Yeah. 2020 is the year of McIntyre, and that's it. He's he's going to be a forever upper mid-card guy now. I don't think... I mean, he can, like, like Rollins did, he can get back to the world title picture, but it doesn't need to be in 2022. It doesn't need to be yeah. tomorrow. You know, McIntyre will be fine. He's a solidified yeah. cornerstone of WWE. Didn't need the run, the, the win. Um, Edge is a fair point. You look at Edge winning WrestleMania 37. Uh, winning at WrestleMania 37, that's fair. Um, I understand why they didn't do it. I, I think it makes sense. Uh, Edge just, I, I think, Ed, I don't know Edge, but I think if he wanted to be WWE champion again, I think he would want to be around full-time, and I think he would want to give people the performances of Edge from the past, and I don't think he's capable of doing that. So why put him in that position? Right, you know, it's almost, it's kind of counterintuitive. You have Edge win the belt at WrestleMania, and then it's like, all right, we're going to drop it to Roman at the next pay-per-view because I can't wrestle the way i did 10 years ago well, because, it, because it'll be it was 10 years to the day after he retired it you know 10 years that's that's the sort of like why he would have won it and i get it the whole thing the whole thing could have been yeah like you know as epic as the moment was edge isn't that guy he's a shell of his former self roman is the guy for the now and roman just he out of rage wins it back and carries on his trajectory that sort of thing yeah right? well as, as i was gonna say tie it all together so you have Edge win, Edge holds the belt for a month, and it's like, okay. So it's counterintuitive to really you have this time now where you have a legendary title reign. You have an era generation-defining superstar in Roman Reigns, where now you can sit back 10 years from now, 15 years from now, you can say, wow, Roman did this, Roman did that. Wow, look how cool this was. Look at this match. Look at this storyline. Look at this moment. We have Roman has given us one of the greatest storylines ever. In the bloodline storyline one of the greatest factions ever and now the greatest tight arguably the greatest title reign when it's all said and done it's probably going to go down as the greatest title reign ever why sacrifice that for three weeks of edge holding the title and crying edge is still doing everything that edge wants to do 
he's having great matches with Rollins and Finn Balor and AJ Styles and like if you listen to him talk about his return or wanting to return or what he would do if he could return back on his podcast and in interviews in like 2017-18 he never mentioned winning the world title he always said I want to work with Cesaro I want to work with AJ I want to have matches with these guys I want to get in the ring with this guy I want to wrestle Roman Daniel Bryan so he's not interested in winning the title and yeah like I said Roman he is going to go down as arguably the greatest wrestler to ever hold the world title in WWE. So why sacrifice that for some moments that really at the end of the day are not going to be all that significant? Interesting. Okay, I'm going to leave it there. We'll leave it there. there. We'll leave that kettle of fish. Ivan, comment down below your thoughts and respond and all that. Good thought-provoking questions. So, Kevin, one more thing about you mentioned the faction with Roman Reigns, the bloodline. Let's talk Usos. Um... Recently, I mean, after WrestleMania, especially WrestleMania 39, there was a bit of a kind of outcry for this and just a general discussion of this. So I'm just going to ask you the question right away. Are the Usos the greatest of all time? And if not, where do they rank all time amongst tag teams? They're undeniably, undisputedly top five tag team of all time, in my opinion. I think a lot of people hold on to the tag teams of old, like Edge and Christian, the Hardys, the Dudleys, um, the Hart Foundation, Legion of Doom, no, and no disrespect to them, they're all great tag teams. The Rockers, teams like that. They hold on to them and they're like, no, this is it. This is the end-all be-all of tag team wrestling. And they kind of discredit the Usos and the New Day and the Young Bucks and um, FTR. But I think those those tag teams, like they're really, from the 2010s, they're the cornerstones of tag team wrestling and they're some of the greatest tag teams of all time. And I think the Usos are the best of all of them, this generation. So I'll say this. They're the greatest tag team of this generation. I, I, I don't even think it's close. Them main eventing WrestleMania solidified it. Uh, Jey Uso main eventing matches with Roman Reigns and carrying the Bloodline storyline. And the way that those two guys have been an intricate part of the, the Bloodline storyline has even elevated their status even more. Um, you know, to compare it to the New Day and even like the Young Bucks, but those guys, like, what have they done in comparison to that? Have they been the absolute faces of a storyline in their company for three years? No, they have not. Have they main evented WrestleMania, the New Day? No, they haven't. The Usos have done it all. Um, and in in ring, they're the greatest in ring tag team I think we've ever seen. I think we could we could say that. I mean, the chemistry, the moveset, the matches they've had, the catalog of matches. They've done it way longer than any of those great tag teams that I mentioned. Probably the Legion of Doom. Probably had probably had like a ten year run, fifteen year run. But other than them, it's the Usos that have done it for longer. And the Bucks, the young Bucks too, they've been a tag team for like twenty years. That's it. All these other tag teams, Edge and Christian, they were what, three years and they were done. The Hardys off and on, you know, but they've been single superstars longer than they have been tag teams. The Dudleys, they had a nice five year run, six year run, including ECW. Nobody's doing it like the Usos. They got the resume, the longevity, the match catalog, stardom. I, I, it's hard to argue that they're not the greatest tag team of all time. Yep, and then I'll just throw a couple of other names out there for more so old time's sake, and I'll get your thoughts on this. So, so now I'll answer. So the Road Warriors, I guess the Heart Foundation, maybe like you know the, the Rockers, like the teams from that sort of era, the 80s, the 90s. Would they be anyone from that sort of era who you'd throw in there as well? Yeah, the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors. Yeah, they're. I think they're right there. They're they're in the top five. Um, 
And from that time frame, yeah, I mean, the Hard Foundation were good. You know, there's Demolition, um, Rockers, uh, the British Bulldogs, uh, the Rougeau Brothers were good. I wouldn't put any of them on that level, honestly. Like, Bret Hart is a singles guy. Bret Hart's not known as a tag team guy. You know? Um, then you look at the 90s, like, that's the golden era, the late 90s, early 2000s. I think it's the Legion of Doom, the Usos, Edge and Christian, the Hardys, and the Dudleys. I think that's that's top five right there. Yeah, and I'll answer the question by saying this. With the Usos, no tag team unit as a team has ever been this crucial to the top storyline in WWE. That's never happened. Um, now I'm saying as a tag team because obviously you can talk about Edge and Christian and say, oh, well, Edge was a key part of the Edge and Cena feud and the Ruthless Aggression Era and Edge was the Undertaker and all the things he did, but that was as a singles guy. That wasn't as Edge and Christian. This is the Usos at the top of the card for now. This is the third straight, or really the fourth year, 2020, 21, 22, 23. And it's going to go to 2024 minimum at this rate. So this is like now a half decade long run just about where these guys who even prior to this, Kevin, from when they came in, I think like 2008, 9, 10, that sort of time, when they first cracked the WWE, for about a decade-long run from about, yeah, 09 through 19, they had a damn good catalogue. Like that as a tag team career is like top 10 all-time by itself there, just with what they did in that time period. But then you take it up another notch and you really elevate yourself up the echelons all-time with what they're doing now, Kevin. Smackdowns are being main-evented by Uso matches, Jay Uso, Jimmy Uso, the storyline between the two of them, the dynamic, the dynamic with them and Sokoa, them and Reigns, them and Heyman, them and each other, them and Sami Zayn, them and Owens, all the matches they've had, the, the 600 and something day title run they had like last year that ended at WrestleMania that you touched on, all the dynamic week to week that's drawing really good ratings on SmackDown, that ratings now, yeah, 2.3, 2.4, 2.5, 2.6 the segment they did with Roman 1000, which was heavily about the Usos, drew over 3 million viewers. So the interest and the viewership is there. So the numbers back it up. I think in that regard, Kevin, I'll throw it to you. I think the statement I made there that no tag team as a group's ever been as crucial to the main event of WWE, I think that's fair. Is there anything on Absolutely. No, that's fair. 100%. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, that's, that's, I can't think of any other. Hmm. Maybe, yeah, some, some would say, like, I mean, like, Brett and Owen, but then again, like, that was, that was different. It, like, it wasn't as long-winded as this. This is, like, three, four years now, and, I look at it, Kevin, to answer the question of this. Well, Brett and Owen were never a tag team. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, and that was just a brotherhood dynamic. It's not even the same as this. These guys have been the best tag team in the world for for the best part of 15 years with Young Bucks and New Day having all runs in there as well and FTR. But really, Usos have been just the the constant of the era in WWE especially. So, Kevin, are the Usos the greatest tag team of all time? I'm hard-pressed to say they're not, all things considered. Um, I'm trying to remove recency bias from that, but what they've done, what they continue to do now on the level they're doing it in like the main event, this isn't just a good tag team throwaway portion of the card like it was for them in 2013. This is the main event and it's happening year after year. So yeah, they make a damn strong case. And yeah, what do you think, pal? I think they are, honestly. And they've been on a red hot run for eight years since they came back in 2016, like being themselves basically. And showing who they truly are and 
Yeah, I mean, it's been on fire. All right, next question, pal. So, is the summer of 2023 make or break for AEW? So we have a lot of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the biggest being all in 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 yep. uh in London, ninety thousand seat arena. You got CM Punk's return. You got the debut of Collision. There's a lot riding on the future of AEW right now with this. They put all their chips in in, in the. They put all their chips in, literally for this summer. They're going all in. No pun intended. In London, they've got Collision debuting a two hour primetime show on a Saturday night, being being carried. Being uh, featuring CM Punk as the top guy, the yeah. undisputed main attraction of that show. But what does it mean? Is the summer of 2023 make or break for AW? That's a tough question because I mean, you didn't even mention they're doing this, yeah, Forbidden Door show, which shapes to be probably the best like crossover show they've done. Okada's gonna be in yeah. it, right? No, what's like, who was it that challenged Daniel Bryan? Is that Okada? Oh, Carter versus Brian, and then they're doing yes. Osprey versus Omega again. Woo. So that they've loaded that, and as far as the audience who watch that, now that's a dream show for the yeah, ages. That's gonna be so, awesome. Brian versus Carter. I want to watch it now just for that. Forget it. Yeah. Are you kidding me? So I mean, you look at that. The fact that you know, the week before that, CM Punk Collision, that's going on. You mentioned, yeah, I mean, the build to All Out, and then All In, and everything that's going on there. I mean, MJF's still the champion. Um. You know, there's a lot, there's a bunch going on. And when it comes to them as a company, it's definitely their most important stretch, probably since CM Punk came back in 2021. And before then, their most important stretch since their first year in on TV. Honestly, really. Yeah. This is a big, this is a big time period for them. There's a, a solid, you know, between now and all in, solid two and a half, three month block where they can make some you know, legacy defining matches, legacy defining moments, company changing, company altering decisions, moments. This is the, the platform for it. There's a lot going on. We can discuss each one individually in coming weeks, but more so on a general s- scale. I say this is huge. Like this block for AW, I won't say like, you know, th- their future depends on this, but for them going from where they are now, where not that they've been in the holding phase, but it's sort of been like, yeah, they have the audience they have. They're sort of, they're, they're ticking through shows. They're ticking through events. They're going through it a little bit. It feels like, in my opinion, yeah. that AEW's either been going through the motions or just, you know, doing all right for a few months, and for a better part of a year or more now. This is their opportunity, their platform to spring up and really generate interest going forward for the back part of 2023 and maybe get MJF to stay on, maybe get another big signing or... Just get the momentum really going, Kevin. Do you think that's fair? I think it is fair. 1,000%. So I, I think a major talking point for what's going on here with AEW is this. Ticket sales are not looking good. There was another report uh, about the collision tapings that are going to be in Canada, or the collision shows are going to be in Canada. Ticket sales are tanking. Like, this is this is a big deal. And I, I really think this collision show, it, it's... I really do think it's it's going to be a deciding factor in the future of AEW. And if this thing underperforms, one, AEW is going to lose a ton of money on booking big venues like the United Center and other venues in Canada that they can't fill up. Two, Warner is going to be like, hey, bro, like, we gave you this second live show. We believe in you, but, you know, 400,000 people on a Saturday isn't going to cut it. Then on top of that, Tony Khan's paying CM Punk millions, who knows how much millions, and he's drawing four or 500,000 viewers on a Saturday night. 
YouTube if YouTube clips aren't hitting, like I don't know. I mean, yeah, Forbidden Door will probably do a hundred thousand buys, no problem. All In's gonna go crazy in UK in the UK, do seventy thousand, eighty thousand seats, probably get two hundred thousand, two hundred fifty thousand buys. All Out probably do a hundred thousand buys. That's fine, but what if like Collision flops really bad? Like they cannot afford a rampage like flop with Collision being in a two-hour time slot. And it, it just doesn't make sense why they would put that on a Saturday night. I don't know who thought that was a great idea. It, I mean, I get it. You know, Tuesday, you got the NHL on TNT. Thursday, you got NBA on TNT. Friday, SmackDown. Monday is Raw. Wednesday is Dynamite. When the hell are you going to put a two-hour show on? I get it. You got no other option. You got to go Saturday night. But... You, you really did all that because CM Punk and, and Nick and Matt Jackson can't shake hands? Are you kidding me? Like, are you, are you serious? Did, did, like, what? Imagine CM Punk going to Vince McMahon in 2012 and be like, Hey Vince, uh, you know, you're going to have to put me on SmackDown only and put a roster of my friends on SmackDown and make that a live show on Friday night. Because remember, it wasn't a live show in, 20, yeah. in 2012. You're going to make that a, a live show on Friday night. I'm going to have my boys there because I can't be in the same room as John Cena and I can't shake his hand. Like, it just, it wouldn't happen in WWE. Vince would be like, all right, bro, see you later. Good day, man. Yeah, I mean, you bring up some great points with that because there's a lot of really good that, you know, the ticket sales of All In, going to be, you know, probably Forbidden Door. I assume they'll buy, it'll get really good buy rates because of like a couple of the marquee matches they've got. Like their audience, the AW audience who loves their products will eat those up and rightfully so the matches should be great that's perfect for them so you look at yeah forbidden door probably all in and all out pay-per-view buy rates i imagine should be pretty good i think ticket sales for all in definitely it's what above sixty thousand now so that is like a novelty event in the uk should be a big hit um and maybe even the first week or two of collision i hope ratings would be decent but really, what we're alluding to, I mean, you mentioned that. It's a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff, really, that's going to continue with AEW. It's the, the dynamic of CM Punk, the top guy is being paid the most, not being able to work with and having to have a whole new show created for him on a Saturday night for two hours because he can't get along with the people who run the Wednesday show. That sort of thing. That dynamic. The, the ticket sales in America, not, you know, ideal. Kevin, I'll ask you this as like a follow-up. Have AW, particularly really since the pandemic era, spread themselves too thin almost with the content? Because I know when we were both watching this show, like AW full on, end of 2019, 2020, it's dynamite. You watch two hours and you watch a paid view and you go, I can't get enough AW. Like, this is really good. There's not that much. I'm not too overexposed. But then it's dark, it's elevation, it's rampage, it's YouTube exclusives, it's BTE. Now it's collision for two hours on a Saturday night. Do you think that's a, a, a big deal? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely, definitely. They spread themselves too thin. They they absolutely did. I, I agree with that. But even still, even with that, like you you watch what you watched. You know the AEW darks and that stuff's on YouTube. It was made for the diehard of diehard fans. Even still, pre pandemic, early twenty twenty, it was still fun watching Dynamite. It was still fun watching AEW. Pandemic era wrestling slowed them down a lot. Then they bring Punk back, and we're getting all this exciting stuff with Punk. A lot of exciting stuff. He's the face of the brand. They're doing well. And then it stagnates out. Hangman Page became a less than credible champion. And then after that, 
Punk holds the championship for a few months, gets injured. Not even a few months, for like a few weeks, gets injured. Comes back, wins the belt, loses it, then wins it again. And it's like, oh, okay. Um, Alright, here we are. Then he beats up Nick Jackson and Kenny Omega and a dog and all this stuff going on. And yeah, since that period, like you said, they've really been stale. And just kind of going through the motions... I don't know. This is yeah. This is a make or break year. In in yeah. short, this is a make or break year. AEW they got to get back on track. They got to figure it out now with CM Punk coming back. Collision has to be a hit. It has to be like like the all in sales is great, and the buy rate is going to be a hundred thousand regardless if AEW is on TNT or if AEW is exclusively on YouTube. A hundred thousand people are still going to buy AEW pay per views. It doesn't matter what what yeah. TV network they're on. We're in an era where where uh, big media companies are cutting content. They're not making content. They're cutting. They're they're you know HBO Max and and um, Amazon and Hulu. They're they're taking stuff off of the platforms to save money on, on royalties and stuff. They're taking shows off that aren't doing well. So this is make or break, I think. Yep. And so one, one more one more point with that going forward with AW. As we said, this is the platform. This is the foundation. To me, the main thing. Yes, the marquee of CM Punk being back, or maybe they'll bring in a, a big X star or. That's all great. Maybe, yeah, the shiny new toy, as we talk about Tony Khan's toy box, that's wonderful. What it is to me is the continuity of the show, the writing, how compelling the stories are week to week. That's why I haven't been watching Dynamite for the longest time now. I don't find the week to week storylines interesting enough. I don't think there's enough going on generally to pique interest. Tony Khan's a great booker. He knows what matches will draw marquee interest. Look at Forbidden Door as the prime example. Just pair guys together it's a dream match amazing but for dynamite week to week and we'll see with collision kevin what do they do week to week what are the storylines that hook you grab you make you go i can't miss next week what's the character development going to be here that's what's going to be critical for aw beyond this platform absolutely all right last question it's a doozy is gunther the greatest intercontinental champion of all time Well, Kevin, before I give you the yes or no to that, let's just acknowledge, I'll ask you, you know, you, you're a wrestling historian yourself, you know, a lot of, as far as, you know, the lineage of this stuff. Who Talk to us, who are the other great Intercontinental Champions? Just well, well, you got the first ever Intercontinental Champion, Pat Patterson. I think he deserves a mention. Uh, then I would say um, uh, Macho Man yep. from like 86 to 87. That was kind of, that kind of, uh, that reign established the belt as like, okay, this is, this is the belt that the next top star wears. Macho Man wore that. Macho Man had that legacy-defining WrestleMania three match with Ricky Steamboat. Arguably, the, well, not even arguably, the greatest match that the Intercontinental Championship has ever been associated with at any point in time. It's a five-star match. I don't care what Meltzer has it as. That's a six-star match. Forget it. Most influential match in wrestling history. So Macho Man's reign, top tier, A1. Uh, Honky Talk Man's reign, not great matches involved with it, but Honky Tonk Man, Honky Tonk Man held that belt well. It's a memorable character. Anybody from the generation prior to me is going to know who Honky Tonk Man is and, and older. Anybody that grew up in that time frame of wrestling knows Honky Tonk Man. He's an int- um, integral figure to their childhood fandom. Uh, then it gets kind of glim. Um, Shawn Michaels' reign is one that comes to mind. He was another one. It's okay. This is the next guy. He's going to be the Intercontinental Champion off and on for a few years. Uh, then, uh, you know, the, the match of Razor Ramon, WrestleMania 10, another legacy defining one for the Intercontinental title. 
So I would say him and Razor, that whole time frame. Then you're looking at it from there. Got what? Like Austin and Rock kind of played hot potato with it. Triple H had it for a little bit. Nothing really doing until Jericho and like Kurt Angle and Benoit, all those guys were going over the title, like that era. Then in the 2000s, it really became just a prop. I, I can't think of one title reign that really sticks out from my childhood as a Ruthless Aggression era kid. I remember Carlito had it. Um, Edge and Orton had it when they were on their rise to the top. RVD, you know, had the title for a little while. He probably held it for like 150 days or something and had a good feud with like Jeff Hardy and with Eddie Guerrero. That's one that maybe sticks out in my mind. Um... And then from there, you know, guys like The Miz holding it in the 2010s. He's probably the guy that everybody will associate with the title from the 2010s. Nothing really, like, not a legendary title run. Like, there wasn't, like, a point in time where Miz held the title for, like, 200 days and he was elevating that title to the absolute apex of the card. There was a time frame there where he had matches with Rollins that, that did pretty well. Multi-man matches with him and Finn and... um that was pretty good. Monday Night Rollins, that era. Then there's been Gunther, really. So, I don't know. I mean, the case is there. Honestly, the case is there for Gunther as the greatest Intercontinental Champion. Kevin, I'll answer this question. To me, Gunther's the second greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time. Um, the, the man I put first, you mentioned him. Obviously, you did a really good rundown of the, the title's whole lineage in about a three-minute span, which is actually quite good. Um to me, Randy Savage is the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time. And he's not even really... Like, when you think Randy Savage, like, we did the whole thing with the Kurt Angle bio, and we always do this with the bios. When you think of this all-time great star, what do you think of... People don't say the Intercontinental title right away with him. They think of, you know, the Miss Elizabeth stuff, the Hogan stuff, him, you know, maybe even some WCW stuff, all this sort of thing with Randy. But I look at that Intercontinental Championship reign from 86 or 87. The significance of that WrestleMania 3 match can't be understated. We've talked about this previously, how that changed wrestling in many ways and changed what that title meant, changed how that style of wrestling was really done. And just generally, there's so much importance to that title, right? It was like, what, 400 and something days from memory. So it had the length. It had the memorable, like, all-time great kind of moment match associated with it and the star power of the guy who held the title. Obviously, in years that would follow it, Randy Savage would elevate himself from, you know, the upper mid card to like one of the absolute main eventers and stars of the era and defining names. But yeah, to me, I'd say Randy Savage, but I look at a guy like Gunther and what he's done to really save that title. Because as you allude to, Kevin, the 2010s, the IC title, mm, you know, Miz and Ziggler had a good two, three months with it at the end of 2016. But really elsewhere, Kevin, as someone who grew up watching this whole 2010s time period with the IC title, it was Cody with bag faces on SmackDown in 2011. It was Shinsuke Nakamura's eight-month-long reign at the end of 2019 and early 2020, where he defended the title three times in eight months, two against The Miz on throwaway matches. I can't forget that. That was horrid. I look at um, what, what else is the IC title, Kevin? I'm, I'm literally racking my brain right now trying uh, to think. There was another Cody run somewhere in there. Like 2013, yeah. right? Yep. Wade Barrett held it for a bit. Barrett. You had Brian. Um, Brian had a pretty yes. good run before he got hurt. 
He got hurt like as soon as he won it though. And he held it for like I thought he held it for like three months. I don't remember. Like like a month, two months if that. Um, Kevin, the one I will say, I mean, not the one I will say, this this was bad as well. Kevin Owens and Ryback in 2015, like trading it back and forth. They feuded infamously Night of Champions over a book. Ryback said, Owens, your book is stupid. That was the storyline. So you look at that, what Gunther's done, Gunther, however you say it, to really revitalize this title and make it something of importance. Gunther has made and saved this championship, and this championship is now something to be won. The matches with Sheamus and especially the Clash of the Castle one, the WrestleMania match, those are like the main matches when you look at this title that in this reign that are going to underpin it. When I, when we, can we look back at Gunther's run in three years when he's off main eventing every SmackDown against Brock and he's had the Brock feud and he's had the feud with Roman and he's holding a world title and we're having debates and elite hate saying that Gunther is, is, is Gunther the greatest star of this era. And when we're doing that, Kevin, we're going to look back <laughs> Back of this IC title run and go, yeah. yeah when when he power bombed Drew McIntyre or power bombed Sheamus on, on the back of Drew McIntyre's head at WrestleMania, that was the moment he solidified himself as on the great champion of all time. But really, Kevin, to me, he's the number two greatest of all time. Um, he isn't far off number one, to be honest. Like, I don't think Randy Savage's run was like, like, cannot be top great. But yeah, they're both all time great. So that's my stance, Kevin. I'll chuck it to you thoughts talk to us I, I don't i personally don't think anyone will ever top macho man solely on the back of that wrestlemania 3 match like that that's like the three-pointer of wrestling like that that just innovated a whole new style of wrestling that people are still going back to and still using as a blueprint for greatness gunther yeah he's had some five-star matches nice mm-hmm. great you know but Gun- until gunther does anything as significant as that wrestlemania 3 match that randy savage ricky steamboat had there's no way he could pass Macho Man in my mind. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, there's been a ton yeah, of wrestlers exactly. that have held exactly. the Intercontinental Championship. For Gunther to be second is uh it's it's not a not a bad thing. I mean, if you had to give your top five intercontinental champions, what what would it be? Well, firstly, Kevin, to give you on that, um, we've had what's this? Eighty nine different wrestlers have held that championship in the course of its like you know, run, which has been on sixty, sixty odd years now. Um, if I'm giving a top five off the top of my head, Savage, I'm saying Jericho because he, I just associate Jericho with that title. Um, as much as it pains me to say, I'll say, I don't want to say Miz. This is the thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't either, I don't but he's Miz there. Man. No, I'm not saying Miz, stuff the Miz. I'm saying Sean. I think what Sean did in the early 90s. I'm saying Gunther. And this is, the, I'm going to forget like a couple, but hmm. I don't know. I'm, I don't know Honky Tonk probably. I think of him with the title, but I don't know. I'm trying to find a a, a relevant article, right? To, uh, yeah. To just like see what people are saying on the internet. Because like Pedro Morales held the title for the most combined days. He held it for nearly two years combined. But right. like, I you know I don't look. I don't think I Tonga. I don't go. Yes, Pedro Morales. I'm going to go to the network to watch his stuff. Give me Pedro power. I don't think that sort of thing. Um, hey, Pedro. I, oh, we know who we're not mentioning is Mr. Perfect. Mr. Perfect oh, yeah. is, is yeah. Man, yeah. Mr. Perfect's up there. Yeah, take Mr. out Sean for my list. Put Mr. Perfect in. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Perfect held that title for a long time. The 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 very famous match with Brett. Uh, Mr. Perfect was like, yeah, he was that guy that was just like, if if there was a secondary world title around in his era, Mr. Perfect would have been that guy that held it. Yeah, in the the early nineties, late eighties. So, yeah. Razor? Huh? Razor? 
Rise of Ramon. Yeah, Razor's up there too. Definitely. I don't know if I put him top five. Yeah. But I would. I mean, for me, my top five is it's uh it's Macho Man, it's Gunther. Uh, I put Mr. Perfect in there. I put Macho Man, and then again, huh? You put Macho Man at I mean, one and four. No, I would, okay, hold on. No, <laughs> I'm tired. It's like late my time. Uh, Gunther, yep. um, Macho Man, Gunther. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm distracted. Uh, Mr. Perfect. Um, God, I don't want to put Miz. Really don't. Yeah, um, I'm gonna put we Honky Talk Man. Yeah, I'm gonna put yeah. Honky Talk Man. I'm gonna actually, this just from my childhood, it just clicked in my brain. The guy that I associate most with the Intercontinental Championship from my era, is Shelton, Shelton Benjamin. So <laughs> I'm gonna put Shelton Benjamin up there. Maybe I don't know. Shelton Benjamin, Jericho, Miz, one of those guys can fight for it. But yeah, I forgot about Shelton Benjamin. I probably no, I'm gonna put Shelton Benjamin there. Shelton Benjamin's there. He was a great Intercontinental Champion and a great representation of what that belt meant in the mid 2000s. So yeah, I'm gonna go with him. Shelton Benjamin. Okay. Yeah, he held the title for actually 244 days. Pat, what are your ruthless, most brutally honest thoughts on the greatest in-ring technician who's ever held this championship? What are your thoughts on the Ultimate Warrior holding it combined for a year and a half, pal? Oh, that's phenomenal. Lovely. Pal, what are your thoughts on Zack Ryder holding the championship? Oh, that's disgusting. Pat, what are your ruthless, most oh, vile, no. vicious thoughts on Kurt Angle, one of the greatest in-ring technicians ever holding it for five weeks? I think that's a, an abomination to the championship. Now, what are your ruthless thoughts on Daniel Bryan, who had crippling <laughs> neck and head injury, being brought back in 2015 and being put in a ladder match for this championship? What are your honest thoughts on that? I'm not going to give my honest thoughts on that. I'm not even, I'm not even going to touch that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Wade Barrett's held his title five times in only 400 days. Damn. Yes. I didn't realize that. Correct. That's Wow. That's incredible. That's, so that's yeah, that's blistering. Blistering. How it's as blistering as your Drew McIntyre scathing assessment of his career. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, pal, that was the last question. So just to clarify, just to recap, I have Gunther as the second greatest champion for the IC title ever. You have him? Second. Second, there you go. Nice. So, Kevin, that's been a late take. Um, another good addition. A bit less volatile than our first one, where I was literally shouting about Cody. Um, this will probably, I mean, this will be a thing whenever we have enough relevant, interesting, like juicy topics and questions. Expect one probably around SummerSlam time, so maybe six or six weeks, eight weeks, something around there. So there you go, Kevin. Any closing words or? Well, we made it this far. No, we made it. It's the end of the episode. How does it feel, pal? To have that elite episode of Elite Take in the bag. Feels great, pal. And one thing I do want to say about next week's show. Now, Kevin, this is one you pitched months ago. Money oh, in the yes. Bank 2011. This is going to be, we don't, we haven't really done this, I think, but this no, is going to be like a it. full retrospective review. And how we're going to do this, I'm just going to preview you guys what we're going to do. This isn't going to be like most retro reviews where it's a match breakdown as far as the moves and the spots. This is what we do. This is elite. Hey, this is about the significance of the show. This is going to be about how this show changed wrestling and how Money in the Bank 2011 was the most important pay-per-view maybe in the modern era. So we're going to discuss that. Kevin, you've got a point to make, which we'll, we'll allude to now regarding CM Punk. Do you want to 
potentially tase that or should we keep that hush hush for next week? No, I'm going to keep that hush hush. I'm going to say this stuff. Okay. I'm going to make a comparison for one CM Punk and the effect yeah. that he's had on the industry. So essentially, this is not just going to be a Money in the Bank 2011 retrospective. Yeah. This is going to be like like an ode to CM Punk in a lot of ways. It's going to mm-hmm. be very CM Punk centric. We're going to go in yeah. great detail. By the by the time we record this, we'll have... Well, no, we're gonna be. it's going to be like a preview for Collision. Collision won't be in the bag yeah. yet. So it'll be like a preview for Collision. Um, it'll be around the time frame when Money in the Bank uh, 2011 happened. So it'll be a 12-year yeah. retrospective on that. It's going to be about you know the pipe bomb. We're going to do some pipe bomb stuff. Just yeah. how that changed the wrestling industry. I'm really excited for it. I, I I mean the first CM Punk kind of bio that we did uh is done well for us on the podcast platform, so we're gonna be talking mostly CM Punk here. I mean we're not you know, we're not gonna be talking about like the undercard matches on that show, like what was it, Mark Henry versus Daniel Bryan? Big show. Big yeah. show. Yeah, we're not gonna be talking yeah. about that for like twenty minutes. So it's mostly gonna be about CM Punk, I'll say that. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll probably title it something effective CM Punk and the Night that Changed Wrestling Forever or something like that. Um, which is going to be, you know, further to that, um, there'll be, oh, yes, as you said, Money in the Bank, the Pipe Bomb. This is like CM Punk time of year. You get to like end of June, you hit July. Everyone, every year, it's about, oh, it's been 12 years since the Pipe Bomb, or two years ago, it was a decade since the Pipe Bomb, and a decade since Money in the Bank, and that infamous, you know, night and few weeks CM Punk's career, and he shot up in wrestling, and how it gets, you know, done in the mainstream sense changed, so... Yeah, that's a big show. Um, not to say this week wasn't. Every week is with us, pal. We come up with good content for you great listeners every week. We don't have a week off, pal. It's banger after banger, pal. We're like Pav, wrestling gifts. Also, I want to mention this. This is totally unrelated. There is someone who is at my gym who looks identical. Literally, it's Pav. I'm, I was certain. I was like, hey, yo, why is wrestling gifts? <laughs> I literally thought it was Pav. I'm not, and this isn't like a race. I literally, I'm like, that's Pav. And then I was like, wait, never mind. Like, okay, hold on. But yeah, so that quick story time at my gym, this guy goes there, like most days I'm there as well, mostly at the same time. This, I, I for the first like three times I saw him, like that's wrestling gifts. That is Pav. But turns out, I guess, surprise, surprise, Pav's Canadian lives there and this wasn't Pav. So yeah. Oh, we got to do our life segment, pal. Do you want to do that? Yes. Do you want to keep, keep this flowing into a life segment? Yeah, so I had that moment where I'm thinking, okay, I've just discovered the clone of Pav who's going to my gym. Okay. Is he slightly um, shorter than Pav? Like how Kanye's clone is slightly shorter than the real Kanye? What? How, I shouldn't well, say I that. We're about to, our channel's about to get nuked. I'm going to edit that out. Okay. Um, yeah, no, Kevin, to answer that scathing question, um, this, this guy's like, as soon as I saw how like, jacked he was, like nothing to discredit Pav, but this guy was like, like buff, buff. I'm like, okay. Facially, this is Pav. Body, this probably isn't Pav. Um, and the fact that he lives on the outside of the world. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, Kevin, I'll, I'll throw it back to you. Please don't ask anything that will get us our podcast taken down here, please. Yeah, so uh, it, it, uh, it theme of the gym. Are you mm-hmm. like a, a solo guy in the gym? Or are you the kind of guy that goes in with like three or four other meatheads and you're just like throwing weights, like yelling, making people uncomfortable, filming TikToks in, in the middle of the gym? Like... <laughs> What do you think the answer to that question is, Cal? Which one do you think I fit the mold of more? I, I definitely think... I, I don't think you're as as uh, uh, ridiculous as I described that example, but I think you're the kind of guy that goes in there with, like, two or three people. 
I mean, I've done both. I've been that guy who go who goes with like a group, and then you know you, you you're there for two and a half hours, and you get as much work done in two and a half hours as you could by yourself in forty. Like I've been, yeah. been that type. Where I've not been. I've never been the one who's filming and got the cam, got the tripod set up, and you're recording yourself hitting bench press, and just you know, I'm I'm not that guy per se. Um, personally, I like a good balance. Um, I, I generally go in what people will call peak hour. Even if I have the option to not, you know, like Kevin today, for instance, I've got the whole day off. I was thinking, do I go in the morning? No, I'm going to go at like five, six, seven ish when it's like busier, just because it's more social, it's more more people, that sort of thing. Um, and that's me going by myself, but there will be people there, so it's a bit of both. It's like I'm going myself. I'm a solo guy, but there is the the opportunities and the social stuff there as well. It's not like I'm making plans, saying, guys, I'm waking up seven a.m. We're going to have six of us in the gym hitting bench press, snorting pre-workout, getting <laughs> the juicy pumps. That's not, what we're, that's not what I do, at least. I don't know if you do that, pal. I don't know if in your gym in the States, you're, you're, you're doing lines of pre-workout, you're, you're getting yourself all hype, you know, you're doing God knows what, you're showering before workouts, showering after workouts, you're getting your hands with all the lifting, like powder, doing like you know, deadlifts. I don't know what you're <laughs> like, pal, but for me, I'm not like that, pal. So talk to us. Do you snort pre-workout? I do that. I don't, I don't take any supplements. I don't take protein powder. I don't take pre-workouts. I don't take any of those pills. I don't. Same take, by the way. Same by the way. Yeah, I don't take any of that. I'm on 100 natural. Um, I what I will say this though, I, I do like going alone. That's my preference. Mm-hmm. I don't mind going with people. Usually, if I go with my boys, it turns into a therapy session. I mean, to start talking <laughs> a lot and get uh, we don't get anything done. But I like going with people that are locked into what I'm trying to do, and that's hard to find. You know, mm-hmm. I, for me, I'm so busy. I, I, it's, it's hard for me to find someone that's like on the exact type of time that I'm on. That's trying to cut weight and get more shredded. Like it's just difficult. Like I, I went with like a, like a buddy for a little while last year, but he's trying to bulk up, yeah. and I'm trying to cut. So I was just like, hey man, like no disrespect to you, but we're not. It, there's no chemistry here. Like you're trying to bulk, I'm Ooh. trying to cut. I got to focus on me, what I need to do. And it's distracting kind of like, so I guess I broke up with my gym, with my, with my gym bro, I guess is it for lack of a better term, but <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's just, it's different. It's just different for what everybody's trying to accomplish. Um, and I, I hate going at peak time. I'm the opposite. Really? Of I yeah. hate going. At, I get out of work around like two, 3 PM. So that's like perfect time. Go to, uh, go in the gym. I wake up way too early for work to even think about working out. <laughs> so, like, I'm not waking up at 4 a.m. to go bang out press um, bench presses before I'm lifting heavy shit all yeah, day at work. Nice. Like, I'm good. So I go after. Um, I'll go at peak hours, like, if I'm with a friend and my friend's like, oh, let's go at, like, 7 o'clock. I'll go. But I'm not Ooh. seeking that out. It just depends on the gym, too. Like, there's one gym that I have. I'm not going to say the name of the gym. But there's one chain. It's, it, I, I don't know if it's national or if it's just in Florida. I don't really know. Ooh. But this gym is, like, the gym now. It's, like... The culture's gym. You go in there, a lot going on. It's a lot, a lot going on. It's it's packed. There'd be like hot girls everywhere. Uh, so I, I went to this gym with my friend who has a membership to this gym. I don't go to this gym. It's like seven o'clock. It's literally like a club in there. There's so many people talking. <laughs> There's loud music. You can't hear yourself think. There's That's guys tight. approaching girls. Uh, There's groups of people just talking. Having a good time, watching the heat game on the TV. 
That's incredible. And I, I'm doing my one of my sets. I'm on the uh, I don't know what it's called, but the 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 machine where you do like the the free weights kind of, where you do like the, the uh-huh. tricep pull downs and yeah. I don't know. I the can't cables? Think, the, cables. the cables. Yes, or... I'm on the cables machine. Yeah. Yes, and yeah. I'm doing the the, the tricep um, extensions. I'm, yes, extensions. Yeah. And this like 16 year old kid is like behind me trying to impress these other girls. Like I guess that he knows from high school. And he's literally like doing the most like exaggerated pull-ups. He's like jumping, like swinging like a monkey and all this. He almost hit me. And my friend turned around, looked at him and was like, yo, can you stop? Because he knows how I, he, he knows how I am. He knows if I said something, I'm getting thrown out the gym. If I say something. <laughs> like, like he knows how I am. So he's like, hey, can y'all stop? Like, what is wrong with you? You know? Oh my god. And um yeah, so just stuff like that goes on at that gym. So I'm not a big fan of the those popular yeah. gyms. Like I like a more low key gym, more mm. of like a a privately owned or a smaller chain. Like I'll, I'll sacrifice like quality of equipment right now in the stage that I'm in in my workout journey. I'll sacrifice that right now for just peace, basically. Guess for lack yeah. of a better term. No, that that's great. And so I guess I was gonna ask a follow up of generally like yeah, uh, what what sort of time do you go because i thought this is a big thing as well with like the time people go to the gym because like i'm personally i'm like a, an early rise like, i can adapt my schedule regardless like if i need to i'll just wake up and go at like 4 30 i don't care in the morning i'm not really about that but the people who are i want to touch on this it's a certain type of person and i'm not someone who's the opposite who's like not a sloth but like will lay in lay, lay in bed all day and then wake up and go at like night time i'm not like that but Kevin, the people, I want to ask you about this. Do you know any of these people? What's your experiences? But the people who wake up at 4 a.m., who 4.30, 5 a.m., get to the gym, you see Instagram stories, you have motivational quotes, you have on my grind, picture it, you know, 5.39 a.m., yeah. little caption on their Snapchat story. I got one. Those I know someone. People. I know someone. Kevin, I'll ask you about that because to me, like, I mean, I can do that. I, I even personal account, I don't like doing it. I think that's a dumb way of going about it because you've got a whole day. You don't need to get your workout done by 5.45 and then be flexing it. And it's like, end. Now what are you going to do for the rest of your day? Sit around doing nothing? Like, come on. So Kevin, over to you. Talk to us about the morning, like the, the absolute early risers, flexing the hustle people. So I'm going to tell this one for any local friends of mine that might be watching this because you're going to know who I'm talking about. So I used to work at Best Buy a number of years ago had a manager who is that exact person that you're describing literally to the t that exact person he would come into work he would treat best buy like it's life or death like we're in the army (laughs) like he would be coveted like high off pre-workout like screaming playing salsa music like it's like 9 30 in the morning playing salsa music dancing around hyping everybody up screaming on the walkie about like whatever numbers need to be hit the story needs to hit going giving out motivational speeches to people like he would literally come up to be like yo bro I, I i get up every morning 4 30 in the morning i'm in the gym in the gym for three hours and then i come here and i crush it at work and i go to the gym after work and i go back home go to sleep do it all over again and i'm just like all right bro that's nice like i'm oh, no. glad for you that he showed me his instagram he's like look at this fucking meme i posted and it'd be like you know if, like you you know it's typical shit like you, you miss all the shots that you don't take yeah or whatever. yeah but one, like one of about 15 different quotes it gets just like cycled around yeah, yeah. exactly and, and he legitimately he was psycho he was a psychopath 
And it takes a special kind of person to get up every morning and do that at the gym. Granted, he looked great. He was in great shape. He looked half his age. And um, and he picked up a lot of women. There was a lot of, he, he gave out a lot of discounts to a lot of women, and he picked them up. So, not outing anybody because that he's no longer. I'm no longer at that company. He's no longer at that company. So, yeah. I feel like I could tell yeah. this story. Uh, hopefully, yeah. anybody sees this. I hope somebody sees this. One of my my people from from that time frame. So, yeah. That was, yeah, not the exact guy. I don't know anyone else like that. Mm. I, don't, I he's like the main one. Like my 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 former my ex future mother in law, I guess, was like that too. She would get up every morning and she was in great shape and peak condition, and she would run out. She would run around the neighborhood in her by her house, then get on the treadmill, then go to the gym, and would eat healthy and take all the pre workout. I was like, how the hell do you do that? Mm. Where do you find the time? Yeah. yeah. Well, because my whole stance to this is that, like, as long as you're healthy and, like, you know, you're, you're that's like my view on it because, like, that's just the extreme, right? Like, people who are like that aren't really fun, you know, because it's so, it's disciplined to the point where it's like, okay, we know you go to the gym, we know you at 5 30 a.m., you're, you're hitting bicep curls and you're doing your pull ups and, we get, we get the pictures of it on social media. We know, everyone knows someone like that. Um, I don't know anyone specifically I'm referring to here in my personal experience, but it all, it's all over social media generally. This is just what happens with a number of people. It's like a flex thing almost, like many things. It's like, yeah, 6, 6.08 a.m., hit my workout, let's tackle the day. It's like, I mean, cool. But, you know, and? <laughs> like, what am I supposed to get? Okay, you hit your gym workout at 4.45, cool. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, you want a medal? Yeah, like now what? Like, like okay, I'll go to the gym at three in the afternoon, finish at four forty-five in the afternoon. We've both had a workout done the same day. I feel pretty good most of my day because I'm a generally fairly healthy person. So, what did you get out of that? Are you trying to guilt trip people on social media? You trying to flex your flex your hustle? Like, like what? What's the purpose? I don't know. But I don't either. Yeah, the, the yeah. gym is really an interesting thing. The gym is an interesting place, honestly. Like, it's really like. It's like a cesspool, you know. The social experiment. It's like a it's a weird thing. You see everything there. You know, it depends on gym you go to. Obviously, that one you mentioned where it's literally like a club is hilarious. Like I'd love to experience something like that, like just once, <laughs> maybe not all the time. Um, but yeah. to me, I don't know. Like you sound more like the person who prefers when it's like a quieter sort of gym, you just get to go, do your thing, do your cut, you know, get the exercises done and leave in you know, whatever time best suits you. For me, I go in that environment, I just get bored. I'm like, cool, I can do all these exercises, sure, but it's not like a, a vibe. I know, like, what you mentioned there is probably a vibe to too much of an extent where it's just like, what are we doing here? Why is this a nightclub? I'm trying to go to the gym. Yeah, there's but, no in-between. There's no, it yeah. doesn't exist, that I found, at least, where I live. Yeah. There's no in-between. It's either super crazy, hot girls getting approached, getting harassed, and, you know, group conversations and people showing off, or it's like dead. And there's nothing going on. It's it's nothing in between that I found. So you're telling our listeners that you don't have like some gym talk account where you like record and someone will walk through and you'll blame them and say they're an evil person. Oh, that's ridiculous! Dumbest thing ever. Oh my god! I've yet to encounter any of those females that do that. that yeah. Like that baiting on TikTok. That personal sense. Have you have you have you been a victim of that or? seen it no, play no, out or I'm anything. About, I, mean, I see both genders 
well, any gender, like filming and recording exercises from the gym I've been to and the gyms I mainly go to. You also see like like dudes like filming their form and stuff. I haven't had the experience with that where it's like, you know, what we've seen on TikTok in previous months where some girl will be filming the like either the hip thrust exercise or the glute exercise or squats and some dude just innocently walks past, glances for half a second, and then all of a sudden it's viral on TikTok. I haven't experienced anything like that, thankfully. Um, I wish I, I don't want to ever experience that. Um, but yeah, for me, it's more so just, it's just dudes filming their form and you just, you don't think anything of it, like, oh, whatever, just walk, walk around the camera, keep moving to my next exercise. But yeah, basically, I, I haven't really experienced anything like any kind of wild gym fight, like fights or confrontations or anything either. Yeah. Never had anybody like throwing weight or like come up to me like, Hey man, you took my machine, bro. Like, yeah. Like try to get volatile. Yeah. You yeah. to experience that. I hope I'm not manifesting right now. Have you had people? I've had this before. Usually, like you're like what I do because I mean every gym's different. People are interesting creatures. If I'm using something, I need to go to the bathroom or go. You know, I might use the hand sanitizer just don't go for a walk around between sets. I'll either put a drink bottle or a towel or something on my machine, right, to signal that I'm using this. No one else used this, right? This is what you do. I've had times. You'll, I'll be doing, like, I'll have a piece of like two bits of equipment or a piece of equipment on the machine. Someone will just wander over. Like I will, I leave like three seconds, quite literally. I turn back and you've got like someone just taking my stuff off and just started using it. I look back over. I was like, why do you think that stuff was there? And so, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll, I'll go change my machine. I'm like, well, what do you think you're doing? Like what? You know, like you. You had to have looked over this machine a minute before seeing me using it, seeing the stuff still on it, seeing that I'm still using it. And then all of a sudden just wander over consciously, grab my stuff, like grab my towel, chuck it on the ground and just start using it yourself. What are you doing? Like ridiculous. It is. It is ridiculous. It's silly. I've, I've, the only thing that I've had similar to that is like one thing I hate is when I'm in the middle of like a machine and somebody will come up and be like, hey, can I get on that with you, bro? How many sets you got left? Let me get on that. Let's take turns. I'm like, I don't know you. Like, you know, yeah, like you're you're some 42 year old. I don't want to share a machine with you doing chest press. Can we not? Yeah, like, exactly. Can you wait three minutes, please, and then you can have it all to yourself, please. Like, yeah, like I'm almost done. I got one set left. <laughs> That's it. Let's wait. Got to We don't need to swap sets. We don't need. You don't need to hop on and then I hop off and. No. Not doing yeah. that. Also, have you had the thing where I don't know the gyms you go to, but just generally any gym, someone's doing like a like a PR, like a big lift, like either a deadlift, a squat, not generally, not really bench as much, but generally like the first two, squat or like deadlift, and it's like real heavy, and you get like the crowd around, or just generally people are going like you can see like eight, 10, 20 different people are just watching because there's some giant, usually it's either some like island or some from Samoa quite literally like shout out the bloodline pal some of these Samoans are freakish, freakishly strong and like you watch this in person and you go <laughs> like that's impressive no I've never seen that really I don't know because there are two Samoans who go to my gym I'm, I'm pretty sure Samoan I'd be willing to bet and I'm like these are literal tribal chiefs like probably six foot four jacked as all hell like they'll do like a either like a 500 pound like deadlift or a you know, like a whatever, some super heavy lift, and you're just there with a sea of mere mortals, a sea of normal people, just like that's cool. I've never seen that. No, that that'd be dope. 
no, it's like you just what you just in amazement because I'm like, I will never get to that stage where like and I don't plan on it, where I'm just like some world class level weightlifter or like that powerful and just watching it, you're in awe. Like you're just like, my God. You yeah, know, like cool. a human can do that. That's cool. You know? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, like a, a human in front of you is lifting like I don't know what color the plates you are. There's like 25 kilo plates. So I don't know what, what that is, like nearly 60 pound plates on each side. And there's like a bunch of them, and then there's the other bar, and there's you know, the the barbell's like bending because there's that much weight on the, the ends. Oh my god! And it's like, lord, that's scary. <laughs> that sounds terrifying. I know. Like you're just watching, going, "Wait, this person's my species." Like, what? yeah, like they're deadlifting that. That's dangerous. God. Well, no, but, but these these dudes are so strong and big that it doesn't even look dangerous. It's just like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm scared of deadlifting in general. I don't want to hurt myself. You know. Yeah. Right. I'm not a fan of deadlifts personally. Squats and bench are better, in my opinion. I don't know. It, uh, whatever. It, 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 getting the specifics, but yeah, that's my gym experience as a light pal. So. There you go. All right, pal. Well, I guess we'll close on that. But yeah. So look at that. It's Jeff Hardy, pal. All right. So we'll yes, talk pal. to you on the next one. Peace.